Hi, welcome to the Grief Awakening Podcast. My name is Elise Duso, and I'm a grief coach and Reiki practitioner here in Nashville, Tennessee. I help guide others who are grieving to reignite their relationships with their loved ones on the other side, helping them ease the ache of grief. This is a podcast where we can have open conversations about grief and loss, mediumship, science, and I'll even tell you my story as a young widow. If you like this episode, don't forget to hit that follow button. And if you'd like to reach out to me, feel free to give me a follow on Instagram at intuitively underscore Elise. Enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Grief Awakening Podcast. I'm so glad to be back on the mic this week. I had a little bit of scheduling conflicts with my planned guests for last week. So unfortunately, there wasn't an episode, a new episode out last week, but I hope that gave you a chance to catch up or re-listen to some episodes that you maybe really love. I cannot believe we're nearing the end of April already. I feel like this month has just flown by just as fast as this year has so far. We're already in spring here in Nashville. It's been Honestly, the most beautiful weather and the sunshine has really lifted my spirits over the last couple of weeks. We're also in a new moon this week. I think, I believe this evening, April 19th into tomorrow, April 20th, will be the new moon. There's also a solar eclipse. And I've heard people say that the solar eclipse brings forward like a big surge of energy. And so I wanted to read off to you from my Chani app what it's saying about the solar eclipse and how it might affect you and your energy. I don't really know a lot about astrology, I'll be honest. I'm very much a novice, but I'm so interested in it. And anytime someone brings it up, I'm all ears. I want to soak it all in. I want to learn. I just haven't really had the time to like sit down and really study it, which I think I need for it to really stick. So the Chaney app says the solar eclipse is flooding your daily life with momentum. This might also drain your energy levels faster than usual. Eclipse days tend to be more wobbly, so go slow, rest, and drink extra water. Never underestimate the power of an unscheduled hour or more. Giving your body as much downtime as possible will support you in moving through this potent day. (laughs) I love that. This is obviously saying, hey, Energy is really crazy, so remember to slow down. Don't go too fast. And thus far, I've not listened to this advice, but to be fair, I'm only just reading it now for the first time. Um, I feel like that's something as a projector I try to do on a regular basis anyway is give myself scheduled rest and lots of frequent rest. If you are a manifest, I think it's manifesting generator. You're like someone who can like go, 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 go. And you don't need a lot of rest. Like you're like an energizer bunny. I don't I don't think I have that gene. Anyway, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this uh, conversation with my guest today, Julia Morin. She is a grief support specialist and the face behind Girl Meets Grief on Instagram. She is also a writer and has written for many online publications about grief. She started her Instagram just about two years ago, Mother's Day weekend, it'll be two years, and she's grown an amazing community over there. We connected at the beginning of this year. I think I had shared a story to my Instagram, um, a video clip of Lee Bird Nash, who lives here in Nashville, and she's from Sixpence None the Richer. And Julia wrote me, wrote me, and we had a kind of like a quick bonding moment over our love for Lee Bird Nash and. Then kind of just continued the conversation and found we have a mutual love for the same kind of wine and um, all things spirituality. So 
I had to have her on the podcast today. It's an amazing conversation. She's going to tell us a little bit about the loss of her mother when she was just eight years old and what it's like growing up with grief. I think she and her story is an amazing example of how grief is not just something that you move on from or get over. It is a lifelong process and it does sometimes become a part of you. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Julia Morin. Hey, Julia, welcome to the Grief Waking Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we. I know we connected over Instagram and it's been a while that we've been talking and I was thinking earlier before we got on, like how social media makes you feel like you know someone already, even though we've never really met before, right? Yeah, and I, have a I, was, lot, and I have a lot of those connections thanks to Instagram, like people that I feel like are my, and this will probably resonate with you, like my spirit friends, <laughs> yeah. you know, like we're very close at heart and we have a lot in common in terms of grief and things like that. But yeah, I've never really met any of those Instagram friends in real life yet. So yeah, it's such a crazy like thing that I think our generation is just navigating for the first time like Mm -hmm. our parents didn't have this you know right they had to actually go out and meet people (laughs) yeah your friends were probably the people you went to high school with college with for us it's like we have friends all over the world um and so when I was getting ready to do this episode with you I was like so excited I'm like oh I wish I could just hug her (laughs) because I feel like we know each other already I I say Um, that to a lot of my um again my Instagram friends that I've really met through my my grief work and that community, like I just have become really close in that way with a lot of people. And I'll say the same thing. Like I have friends in California and I'm in New Hampshire and I'm like, I wish I could just hug you. So this is the next best thing, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, um, for those who don't know, Julia is the face behind girl meets grief on Instagram, um, where we connected. And I was hoping that you could just take a couple minutes and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up, what life was like as a child. And then if you'd like to as much detail as you want, get into the story of your mom and um, what happened with that passing. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I always say that up until I was eight years old, I had actually just turned eight when my mom died. So I always say that up until that point, I sort of had that idyllic childhood. You know, I lived in a small um, New England town and we lived on a street that was once a dirt road and it was abutting conservation land and, you know, a colonial up on a hill, like kind of just what you picture when you think of that um, small town, New England sort of upbringing. So, you know, I always kind of say that up until my mom died, I I was really lucky to have that sort of ideal childhood. Um, I grew up with a sister who was about four and a half years older than me. And, you know, my mom was just, it's hard to even talk about, you know, my memories of her because unfortunately there are just so few that I can just recall um, with any sort of clarity. You know, I'm often feeling like I'm, filling in the holes or making things Mm. up to kind of like fill those gaps. But what I do remember of her and what people have told me to kind of help me fill in those gaps. um, She was just a wonderful person and the kind of person that made friends everywhere she went. And, you know, my dad would joke, like she'd go to the grocery store and come back and be like, Oh, I made this friend and I got her phone number and we're going to get lunch tomorrow. You know, like she was just that kind of warm person. Um, So I always feel like there's like this line in the sand of like my childhood before and my childhood after, because 
obviously her death was that precipitating event that just kind of like ripped my world open and and everything changed really almost overnight. It was that fast. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I had, I say eight years, but the more I think about it, it's like, it was really more like seven because of, you know, the timing. And I had turned eight in on March 19th, I turned eight and she died on May 20th. So almost exactly two months later. So I had really just turned eight. So I, I got seven years with her and I'm grateful for that. Um, but it certainly wasn't enough. And, um, so back to, you know, her death being very sudden, um, it was six days after Mother's Day, ultimately, that she died. But the last photo I have with her is from that Mother's Day. It was um, 1995 that she died. And I I don't really remember that Mother's Day, but I, I have that last photo. It's still framed. Um, and that's sort of what I hold on to as like that last memory, that last um, picture of her in my mind and that last memory of us together. But um she was seemingly healthy and happy and, and nobody would have known that anything was wrong or that she was going to be ripped out of our lives six days from then. Um, and ultimately, so that obviously Mother's Day always falls on a Sunday. And then that Thursday, at some point after she had gone to bed and it, my parents had put us to bed and whatnot, um, I woke up or was was awakened by the sound of her crying and, and seemingly in pain. Um, and as a child, you know, it's, it's hard to reconcile those kinds of things. It's just like, you think that they're just sick or you don't really know what's really going on. Um, but I do have these sort of vivid bursts of memories from that night. Like I just remember, you know, we had a very small upstairs. So my bedroom was like across a very short hallway from my parents' bedroom and, you know, I woke up, heard her crying and I feel like I was kind of in and out of you know, waking up, falling back asleep, not really mm-hmm. sure what was happening. And at some point, I just have this memory of, um, and this is probably not an accurate memory, but this is again, where, where children like make things up or your perception is not always reality, right? So in my yeah. brain, it was like, I remembered there being a police officer in my house in my parents' room. And in hindsight, that was probably like an EMT or something like that. But in my brain, it was like, oh no, something bad is happening. You know, there's, there are police in my house. And um, I remember seeing my parents' door like cracked open and just the light coming out of their, um, their bedroom and hearing voices. And again, like falling asleep, waking back up, hearing her crying again. And so it, it almost felt like a dream. Like it just felt like I was in this dream world of like, what's going on? I went to bed, everything was fine. And now something is, is wrong. Um, so from that point, it kind of just went downhill throughout the rest of the night. My my dad, I remember him coming in and scooping me out of bed and putting me in my sister's bed and saying, um, you know, mommy's sick. I'm going to bring her to the hospital, stay with your sister. And so my sister was 12 at that point, a few months away from turning 13. So she was old enough to kind of, you know, babysit me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um And so I have like that sort of recollection of that happening and um, them leaving and then coming back. And my mom was still with him. And I remember being confused, like, you know, again, it's really hard as a child to to try to figure out what's going on in a situation like that. Um, So you kind of cling to 
what little bits of it you can understand and, and try to fill in the rest. But yeah, um, he ultimately took her to the hospital, to the emergency room, and it was kind of just brushed off that she had flu-like symptoms. And I think the emergency room was really busy that night or they had like more urgent things happening. So they were waiting for a while. And my dad just said like, screw this and brought her home and called an ambulance ultimately. Um, So she was kind of presenting initially with flu-like symptoms, but that just kept deteriorating throughout the night. And um, it was very apparent, I think, to my dad, like this, something is very wrong. But again, you know, Mother's Day that past Sunday, like nothing, you never would have thought that anything was wrong or that she was sick. Um, So it was just really, really sudden in that way. And Ultimately, what we found out was that she had an adrenal tumor, which was unbeknownst to anybody. Um, And, you know, that's something that she would have had for a really long time, but nobody ever would have picked up on it if they weren't looking for it or if there wasn't some reason that she had an MRI and it showed up like they never nobody knew it was there. Um, So it ultimately got to the point that it just, I don't really know the proper terminology to this day, if it ruptured or what exactly happens in terms of the medical terminology, but Mm -hmm. it really just got to the point that it was mass producing so much adrenaline to her heart that her heart just like couldn't take that anymore. Wow. Um, And so, you know, those, it was less than two days. I mean, from the time she went to the hospital and the time that she died was less than two days. Um, And my understanding is that she essentially went into a coma in the ambulance. And that's the last, um, the last memory and the last visual I have of her aside from that mother's day photo, like the last actual memory in my head is peering out my sister's bedroom window and watching my mom being put into an ambulance. And I never saw her again. Hmm. So um, that's hard to this day to, you know, and as you know, I've posted things about this on, on Instagram, talking about the sudden, the suddenness of everything. And, you know, I recently shared about how I never say that to like diminish somebody who has had not had a a sudden loss. And obviously you and I can relate in that way in terms of Mm -hmm. the sudden way in which we have experienced loss and grief. But, um, you know, I never say that in a, a sense of like, well, my loss and my grief is harder than someone else's because it was sudden. It's just different, right? So, you know, you probably um, saw my post about this in terms of somebody else might not know how jarring and, and traumatizing that sudden type of loss is, whereas I don't really fully understand how traumatizing it is to watch somebody slowly die from a terminal illness. You know, those are yeah. two completely different types of loss and they're both completely valid and and horrible. Absolutely. So there's no comparing in that sense, you know? Yeah. What was that conversation? Like, if you can recall with your dad, like when he came home and finally told you what happened, that is uh, another, one of the very few like vivid memories that I have from all of that time. Um, So we, we were fortunate that we had very close family friends that lived right down like a, a stone's throw from our house. And my, you know, my, my parents were very close friends with them and their twin daughters and my sister were very close. Um, so we stayed there with them while my dad was at the hospital with my mom. And I remember the day that he came, pulled up their very long driveway and we were sitting outside on their patio 
And my aunt, who has now since also passed, my mom's entire side of my family is no longer here. So my mom, my aunt, and both grandparents on that side. Um, But at that time, my aunt was with my dad. To my recollection, they both got out of the car. And he walked up the stairs to the patio where we were sitting. And I just remember him saying, um, the doctors tried to fix mommy's heart, but they couldn't fix it. And I remember my sister started crying because she was obviously, you know, again, almost 13 years old. So I think she could understand what that meant more than I could. Yeah. So I just remember sitting there kind of confused, but looking at her and looking at him and thinking like, oh, this must be bad. I'm supposed to cry, you know, but Uh I didn't fully grasp like, oh, she's she's not coming back. Yeah, Um, that is that's a really interesting conversation that I've heard some people talk about on some other podcasts, like when speaking to children about death mm-hmm. and how important it is to be so clear concrete, yeah. and concrete that this is what happened. They actually like use the word died or yeah. they're not coming back. Like to just, to just tell a child, Oh, the doctors couldn't fix her. Like, mm. especially someone so young, like what, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I don't fault my dad for that in hindsight. And I, I think in a lot yeah. of ways, the, um, the resources and just like the awareness back then, you know, again, this was 1995, were very different than they are now. And we still have a long way to go. But it's mm-hmm. come a lot further than it was then where I just feel like, um, especially in terms of children with grief, like there wasn't a lot. I remember people giving me really kind of lame books about, you know, like they were <laughs> trying to be helpful, but it was like these books about nature and how everything, you know, just very like poetic and not not as concrete of like, this is what death is. And, you know, it was kind of just like, oh, all things bloom and then die. And like that kind of abstract language. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And I think in the more recent years, that's become more um, kind of more commonplace. Like you need to be very direct about what happened and you don't need to go into like details that are going to be traumatizing, but just to say like, if, if a child doesn't even really know what death is as a basic concept, I think it's really hard to just have that abstract language and try to figure out. Because I remember for weeks, maybe even months, like I remember this thought spinning in my head of this is just a bad dream. She's mm-hmm. going to come back. This isn't real. Like that's what I thought for a really long time. Yeah. And I'll say as an adult, I had the same thoughts when I lost my partner, like, yeah, I think that feeling, feeling that like you're in be, a dream or rationalizing yeah. or they're just away on vacation. They're going to come mm-hmm. back. So magical I think thinking, magical thinking. I think that's right. completely normal in the face of loss, like sudden loss like that. Mm. Um, as you were like growing up as a young child and then moving into teenage years, like how did your grief change? Did you seek out, did your dad help you seek out therapy or like other mm-hmm. resources that you may have needed? Yeah. I mean, I think we were, again, this is not a comparison thing or like my grief was harder, worse, better, whatever. But um, I think we were fortunate in that we had, you know, a present remaining parent. He obviously had to go back to work full time eventually to to provide for us. Um, But we, he was as present as he could be, you know, taught us responsibility, chores, like we'd help him make dinner and set the table and do things like that. Um, We did have some babysitters growing up, but they were always like really wonderful. And I was lucky to have, you know, family friends, like I said, and neighbors that were just kind of like angels to my family that stepped in to help. Um, And yeah, he did, you know, he took us to therapy and 
again, my memories of that, I, I know that we went and like, I think we talked to somebody individually and then with him, with my dad in the room. And, um, but I also think, you know, even now, let alone back then, like the number of therapists that are actually trained, right. in, in grief, especially for children, I think, um, that might not have been the most, you know, beneficial thing back then in terms of, okay, I probably went to like a general therapist, right. That didn't have that sort of Mm -hmm. specialized training to really guide a child through something like that. And I know my dad was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like I have two young daughters and I have no idea, you know, one of them is still a child, me. And then my sister is like becoming a teenager and essentially a woman. And now her mom's not there. And it's like bra shopping and getting your period and all these things. Like my poor dad is trying to figure all of this out. So, um, but you know, I think all things considered, um, we were fortunate in a lot of ways to have support that some people maybe don't, you know, I, I know that there are people that lose parents at a young age and their other parent really has a difficult time coping with it and they turn to drugs or they just are not in the picture. And that's, you know, obviously, um, again, I don't want to say harder, easier, better, worse, but that's a totally different experience to navigate when you're a child and you don't have that remaining parent that's like present and, you know, teaching you the right things and trying to instill those things in you. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your dad, um, as you're growing up, like, did he make time to talk about your mom or how, was there open dialogue in the house about your mom? I feel like for the most part, yeah. I mean, he's a very kind of sensitive, emotional type of, um, father and man, which some people find funny because he's like the quintessential New York Italian guy. And my friends were like afraid of him growing up until they realized he's like, he's not scary. He's just, you know, he could be like a hard ass when he wanted to be, but he also was a softy. Um, So, you know, I remember having photos of my mom around the house. And that's another thing I've heard people say, like, we didn't have photos of my mom. We didn't talk about her. It was like, she never existed. Mm -hmm. And that's not my recollection of how it was. Like we were encouraged to cry. We were encouraged to share our feelings, um, look at pictures of her, talk about her. So I'm fortunate for that as well, because again, you know, when I hear these stories of people saying like, when my mom died, it was like, she didn't exist. My dad started dating within a month and got remarried within three months or whatever it is. Um, He did eventually remarry when I was 17 but they're no longer together. So that was a whole other um, really difficult sort of transition and just like period of, of my life. But yeah. And now that you are an adult, you're married now, right? Mm-hmm. How, what is grief looks like now? And even with that, like, how did you feel called to start sharing about grief on social media too? I wonder. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, kind of looking back at my twenties and even before that, I feel like I kind of moved through the world with a lot of unresolved anger and Mm. just a lot of things that, you know, despite having gone to therapy and had um, my dad being pretty, pretty solid foundation in my mom's absence and having all these positive influences, I feel like I really spent a lot of time. I 
I was keenly aware that I was different, right? Like I, I remember going back to school and in elementary school and being like, oh my God, I'm the, the girl who doesn't have a mom. And like, I don't know anybody else my age who fits in that category. So I became very self-conscious of being different and being an outsider. And I remember just wanting so badly to not want to like stand out. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to like move along with the crowd and and not be different. So I feel like I spent so many years just like having my grief really take a backseat and just feeling like I couldn't talk openly about it. You know, everyone knew it had happened, but it wasn't something that I really shared or talked about a lot. It was just like, okay, I want to be like all of my friends. I want to be, you know, at first it was like, I just want to have as normal of a childhood as possible, even though I'm not really normal anymore. And my childhood is like, completely different than everybody else that I know. Um, So it's kind of straddling that line of like, I don't want this to not be acknowledged, right? But I don't want it to become my identity. And I don't want to sort of become that outlier. And so it was a really hard balance. And I feel like I spent a lot of years just largely ignoring it. Like I remember in college, like, I don't feel like I talked about it a lot. I just wanted, again, I wanted to fit in and just go along with what everyone else was doing and not um, stand out, so to speak, or draw like attention to myself in that way, I guess. And then I don't really know what, like where that shift happened. Um, I am really passionate about mental health and I've struggled on and off for, I would say most of my life um, with anxiety and or depression And so I got to a point where I was like, oh, maybe I'll go back to school to be a therapist. And people kept asking me, like, have you ever thought about being a therapist? Like, you'd be really good at it. Um, And then I started thinking about, like, life coaching, just in very general terms. And that didn't really feel right for me. And then I just remember one day um, just sitting there. And I swear to you, I've told people this. I feel like it was, like, a, a divine message from my mom, like, just all of a sudden, had never thought about this, didn't know if it even existed, but my brain was like grief coaching or like grief support. And I was like, what? So I Googled it. And sure enough, like the first program that came up is the first one that I ended up doing. And I've now since completed three. Wow. But that's kind of where that started is like, I just feel like it really came out of nowhere. But the more I think about it, I'm like, I feel like somehow my mom like placed that idea in my brain, you know? It's kind of crazy, but um, as an intuitive, (laughs) you probably don't think that sounds that crazy. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like this is the, like they're trying to guide you onto the path, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is what you should be doing, or this is where you will make a difference in the world or something along those lines. So that's how that really ultimately started for me. And then in terms of Instagram, it was... um, May of 2021. So Mother's Day weekend. And, you know, because she died six days after Mother's Day, May is just always a really, really hard month for me. Um, But I, I just remember sitting there and I actually had a podcast interview that day with a grief podcast based in the UK. So I was like getting ready to go to the cemetery, did this podcast interview. And just out of nowhere, again, was like, maybe I'll just start an Instagram around grief. And I didn't think you know, I didn't have any lofty goals or ambitions for it. It was just like, you know, I'm also a writer. Mm -hmm. So I thought like, oh, that would be a good outlet and a good way to combine like my passion for grief and helping people and then just 
sharing some stuff that I'm writing or whatever. And so that's where that started is that, you know, Mother's Day weekend. I was like, I think this would be a good way to just get some things out there and connect with other people. Um, And I really never had expectations of it beyond that. And I'm approaching 7,000 followers now a couple years later. So it just kind of you know, took off. And yeah, that's amazing. You built a huge community in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the writing. I want to talk about it a little bit. Did you go to school for writing? Was that something you've always had an interest in? Or have you specifically just been inspired to write based on your experience with grief? Yeah, so I would say I've, I've always been a writer to some extent. Like I do remember as a child, I was always writing stories and letters to people. And I always loved to write. And, you know, as I moved into middle school and high school, like English and language arts were always my strong, um, my strong, you know, courses or classes, whatever. And um, I did ultimately go to college for English and journalism. So I've done a lot of journalistic writing, like feature writing, freelance writing, stuff like that. But again, you know, when I got to that point of like really wanting to make a shift from internalizing my struggles with mental health and grief to using it to help people, that was seemed to like kind of a an obvious connection. Like, okay, well, I'll write about it. Um, and so that's where, you know, I just started writing and things got published and it kind of just was a natural progression in that way. Yeah, it's awesome that you're able to do that through Instagram and then in long format as well, whenever you do write for a publication. Yeah, Um, it's been, it's definitely been a helpful, you know, kind of therapeutic outlet in addition to like going to actual therapy, which I've done, you know, on and off throughout the years. And um, for me, it's just always been easier to express my feelings through writing than talking. So mm -hmm. it's just a way, you know, an easier way for me to sort of process things and, um, it's, you know, in that sense, it's helping me, but it's also hopefully helping other people if they can relate to what I'm writing or sharing. Yeah. What has the feedback been like on Instagram? Obviously, like you're growing really, really at a really quickly, quick rate. You're Mm. doing awesome on the platform. People are engaging. What is like the feedback like? I, you know, I feel like I try to be relatable in the sense of, and, and you'll know this from my content, like I don't buy into and here I am approaching 28 years, right. In May, since my mom died, Mm -hmm. I really don't buy into all of the um, stuff around timelines around grief and, you know, not to disparage the five stages, but as most of us know by now, like that was not supposed to be originally applied to grievers. It was for people who were terminally ill and it sort of got, um, and I studied with David Kessler who works, worked closely with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. So again, that's not to, um, to say anything disparaging about that, but I just think you see a lot of that, like the five stages of grief and it's linear and you do this stage and then you graduate and it's like very unrealistic. So I think a lot of the feedback I've gotten is that people feel very validated by just, you know the way that I share things in a sense of like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm before you know it, I'm going to be at 30 years since my mom died. And guess what? I'm still grieving. I still have really hard days and, you know, days where I miss her so much and that ebbs and flows, you know, but as I move through life and have gone into adulthood and it's just come up in so many different ways that I wouldn't even expect. So 
when people sit there and say like, oh, well, it's been this amount of time. That's not taking into account, like, I call it the grief boomerang, like all the ways it just keeps coming back around. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I got engaged and I got married and all of the graduations and like just all the things that she's missed out on. So yeah, I think what I love about your content and the fact that it has been as long as it has, is a great testament to that. Like grief is a lifelong journey and people may look at me or you, like I'm almost three years out and they'd be like, how are you still grieving? Like it's been almost 30 years. It's been almost three years. It's Mm -hmm. like exactly what you're saying. The grief boomerang will keep coming back forever. Unfortunately. I mean, I wish it wasn't this way, but it is just part of our life. Now grief becomes a part of you. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that you share and what you're sharing is really great. Uh, evidence, but also just like a great example for people who don't quite understand grief or haven't gone through a loss. Mm. So like sudden or traumatic or close to them to help them understand what grief does look like in a a lifelong journey. Right. And I think it also helps to, um, to frame it in a way. And this is another thing that again, you'll know from my content that I frequently come back to is like grief at its core is love. It's a displaced love. It's, you know, we don't stop loving somebody when they die, right? We don't stop missing them. We don't stop wishing that they were still here. And so I think we need to really stop pathologizing grief as this, you know, dirty word or this like disease or, you know, like it's, it's pretty simple to me. Like we love somebody Mm -hmm. And they're gone and we miss them and we still love them and we always will. So if the love piece doesn't go away, like the grief is inextricably tied to that. I don't see how you can separate those two things. Mm -hmm. Did Um, you see that? Did you see that New York? I think it was New York Times. I'll have to look it up. The article that came out earlier this year, or maybe it was the end of last year, where they said that if you're grieving for longer than I think a year or 18 months, you have a disorder. Yes. So they have now, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to to mention that in the context of this conversation is that um, the DSM-5, which is like the diagnostic manual essentially that's used for, for therapists and things like that in the clinical world, has now categorized um, prolonged grief as a disorder. And there's been a lot of talk about, well, how could that be harmful versus helpful? And in some cases it might be helpful if somebody has a formal diagnosis and they might be able to get insurance coverage that they otherwise wouldn't for their, their related services and all these different things. But I think if you look at that from, you know, throw out all of the insurance stuff and all of the, those kinds of things from a, just looking at it from a human standpoint, right. It's just so, grief is not a black and white thing. So I think it's really hard to just come up with some sort of um, diagnosis based on very set criteria. Right. And there's, that could go either way. It's, it's a dangerous. um, I just think it's a dangerous thing to get into in terms of like, okay, well this diagnosis says one year and you've passed a year. And I think you have to be much more specific than that in terms of the diagnostic criteria for that. Like, okay, if it's been more than a year and you have these like debilitating symptoms still happening every single day, then that might be slightly more concerning, but still in my mind, not like a black and white, you have a disorder. Right. Um, Right. And maybe it's not that 
that black and white, but that's the way it comes off. And I read it. And I remember my first feeling being anger, Mm. like Mm -hmm. anger that someone is trying to put me and everyone in the grief community in a, in a box Mm-hmm. To help them further understand, like, okay, you guys are over here. The depressed people are over here. The ang- anxious people are over here. It's like, laugh no. a label on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just remember being, like, so mad. Um, and I do think there is a place for healthcare in grief, for sure. Um, especially if someone is causing physical harm or having debilitating symptoms, as right. you mentioned. But I just, I just feel like it always feels like, a way for the government to, or, you know, healthcare providers mm. to push us in a certain direction, be able to provide medication. Right. It all, it all comes down to money for me too. You know, there can be so many conspiracies around this, but mm-hmm. that we don't need to get into. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is a slippery slope to go down and, you know, you can't, the issue I have is that grief is not Unlike anxiety and depression, which I do feel like those are, and again, this, we could go off on a tangent on this and people will agree or disagree and that's perfectly fine. But, you know, in terms of medication, like you mentioned, you know, those anxiety, depression, there are very specific things that are categorized as chemical imbalance, things that you can actually prescribe medication that might help with those things. Grief is not one of those in my mind. Like you can't just write somebody a prescription for grief, you know, and the things I just mentioned, anxiety, depression, those are very oftentimes a part of the grieving process, but you're not going to cure somebody's grief by giving them medication or whatever it is. Like there's no cure for grief. It's, it's like you said, a lifelong mm-hmm. um, journey and experience that needs to be felt. And I think a lot of the solutions, so to speak, that people have are aimed at getting rid of the grief and pulling people out of their pain. And that's not that's not constructive ultimately like that people don't want their pain taken away from them in that way, or, or they don't want to be forced out of it in some prescribed time frame. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, one thing I've always dealt with and thought about is that feeling of, and it, I think this particular conversation kind of leans towards in that same way is being pushed along in your grief. Like everyone mm-hmm. just wants you to be over it as fast as possible that so that they can feel comfortable like, okay, you're healed. You're good. Now we can be normal around you. Like, right. So that's, that's just, yes. It's, yeah. You're, you're getting at the crux of that, which is that it's mm-hmm. entirely about other people and not about you, which is both yes. comforting and infuriating because it's like, okay, I know it's not me. It's really hard to get to that place of like, it's not me. But at the same time, it's like, why can't people just accept where I'm at and not try to make me be in a place that I'm not I'm not at, and I'm not the person that I used to be, and I'm never going to be that person again. Yes, absolutely. I want to switch gears a little yeah. bit. So, you know, I'm sure you've, if you've listened to any of this podcast or you follow my content, you know that we love talking about spirituality and our connection to our loved ones. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like, even from being like eight years old, did you mm-hmm. feel any kind of spiritual connection with your mom or like a knowing or a feeling that she was around you and with you very much like when you got that kind of that download, if you will, to mm-hmm. do grief counseling or coaching or, you know, any of that? Yeah, I would say I I have pretty early memories, even from childhood after she died of, of 
feeling like there were signs or that she was present. So her, and again, you probably know this from Instagram, but her big thing was hummingbirds. That was like her favorite thing. And she also loved lilacs. So um, it's, it's both like painful and beautiful to think that both of those things come back, at least here in New England in May, which is again, both the month of Mother's mm-hmm. Day and her death anniversary. Like suddenly I'm putting my feeders out and the hummingbirds are coming and the lilacs are popping up. And it's like, um, it's mostly a, a comforting reminder of her most of the time. It's just, it's a way that she feels closer, but it's also sometimes like, depending on, I guess, where I'm at mentally at that particular time, it can sometimes be a little bit difficult. Um, but she, over the years, like she has showed up in hummingbird form in so many different ways. I mean, I remember sitting at uh, my aunt's summer house in the Berkshires, which this was my mom's only sibling who died when I was in high school. But um, I remember sitting on the bed in the room that I would stay at there and just having this encounter with this hummingbird that was right outside the window and just like staring at me. And I just remember feeling even at that, whatever age I was at that point, like that's my mom and she's, she's still with me in that way. So, um, you know, just another antidote related to that is like every, every year for either mother's day or her anniversary in May. And then for her birthday in October, she also loved antiquing. So I will, you know, that's kind of like a tradition is I'll go into an antique store And I will literally say out loud to her as I'm walking in the store, like, let me know that you're here. Give me, and I'll be very specific. I want a hummingbird sign. And I'm telling you every single time, like this past year, um, did this for her birthday. I went into this huge antique store. I walked around the whole place. I was like, I'm not going to find anything. Like she's not feeling it today. (laughs) And then (laughs) I get to, I kid you not, like the furthest back corner of this place. And I'm looking at just shelves and shelves and shelves of mugs and vases and different things. And I stop in my tracks and there's this little black vase with a gold hummingbird on it. And I just looked up at the ceiling and started bawling. Like people thought I probably thought I was nuts, but Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, thank you. I know you're here. Like that was, that's my sign. Um, And it helps me to be specific in that way because I think it's easier to, to be like, I don't know, to say something vague and then kind of, maybe see what you want to see or be like, Oh, there's my sign. And there's 10 of those in here versus like this one specific thing. Um, and the same thing happened again. Um, that might, that first one might've actually been mother's day or her anniversary. And then the most recent one was her birthday in October, went into a different antique store, um, walking up and down and same exact thing on the way. in, I said, give me a hummingbird sign, mom. And, um, this one is even sh- more strange. And you might, I, I posted about this on Instagram, so you might already know this story. But um, the thing that caught my eye was this, like, almost like a mannequin hand that you would put like rings, like display rings on. Mm-hmm. And it had a hummingbird, right? Smack in the middle of the hand. And I was like, and I saw it and I picked it up and I was like, okay, I'm not sure. That's kind of weird. I don't think I'm going to buy it, but like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then I don't know why, but I felt drawn back to it. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is kind of creepy, but I feel like I need to buy it. And I'm not really sure why, like aside from the hummingbird, you know, it was kind of like, just again, one of those things in my brain, I was like, something is telling me to buy this. So I did. And I told the story to the, um, the guy that, uh, you know, rang me out, like, it's my mom's birthday and she's no longer here. And this is what I do. This is my tradition. And he was like, Oh, I love that. I'm going to knock a dollar off the price for you. It's like, okay. Um, 
So anyway, I get in the car, I'm driving home and I'm like, what am I going to do with this creepy hand? Right. And all of a sudden I have this epiphany. So if you look at my logo, which is on my Instagram, it is literally like a hand with these long fingers just holding a rose. So the other weird thing, um, so the logo is a hand holding like a couple of single flower petals, right? Yes. The thing that the cashier man said to me when he, when I was telling him, um, you know, my mom passed away. This is my tradition. This is the sign and whatever. I have to buy this because it has a hummingbird. He was like, oh, well, maybe you could bring it home and just put like a single flower petal through the fingers. I thought nothing of that. And then I get in the car and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm driving. I almost drove That's, off the highway. I'm like, crap. my logo. my Oh, my God. So it all just like it was just that full circle moment of like, this is why she gave me this creepy freaking hand as, <laughs> as her sign, you know, like, and this is why I bought it. And, um, it's, I have like a jewelry armoire in my bedroom. So it's on top of that. And I have, um, I have a few of her rings that belong to her. So I got home and I'm like, this is what this thing was made for. Like I displayed three of her, her rings on it. And it's just, and I have a little bracelet with her name and beads, Jody. So I put that on the wrist. Um, but it was just one of those things that it's like, how can you deny that that's like, you know, that that's too weird to just be coincidence. I love that. That is crazy. I didn't know that story. Okay. But how crazy that she even had the gentleman and the cashier say that to you. Right. And I, again, even at that moment, I was like, yeah, okay, maybe that's a nice idea, whatever. I kind of brushed it off and I like get into my car with my paper bag with my creepy mannequin hand. And I'm like, I don't, I still don't know why I bought this or what I'm going to do with it. And I don't know. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I think I was sitting at a red light and I just all of a sudden was like, holy crap. And then I got home and pulled up my logo photo and I'm like, this is too weird. That is so cool. I actually have, um, Antique stores are great places to see signs and they're always unexpected because like when you walk into an antique store, you know, there's all booths. You you never know what you're going to see, right? Mm -hmm. And I never go into a store like looking for signs specifically, but um, I went on a trip with my good friend Shannon, who is also a widow, and we went to Florida together. Mm. And there's this one little store. She calls it the magic store because (laughs) whenever she goes into the store, she sees a sign from her husband. And... um, I, she took me to the store. I went in there with her and we were just shopping around. You know, there's, there's stuff everywhere. The walls are covered with Mm -hmm. things hanging. There was, right when I walk in, there was a shelf like over in the corner and there's a piece of pottery on the shelf and it was like handmade pottery with like a little lid. And, um, I, my eyes just kept being drawn to it. I don't know why. I don't, I just kept like, we were were walking through, I was looking at things, but I kept being drawn to this piece of pottery. And so, I decided to go over and look at it. I was like, I think I want to buy this. And I looked at the price on the bottom. I think it was like 20 bucks or something. Mm. And so I put it, I put it back. I didn't want to carry it around the store. And I just kept walking through. And once again, like my friend was shopping, I walked back over to the piece of pottery and I was like, I don't know why I, I'm really drawn to this piece of pottery. I don't know what I'll do with it, but I really want it. And I pick it up and I take off the lid and it says JMW written in the bottom of the lid, like someone had written in into the clay, mm. which is my fiance's initials, JMW. Wow. So just like signs funny how so you'll, crazy. Yeah. Like you'll initially be drawn to something. You're like, I don't know why. And then you'll go back to it and it will just smack you in the face. It's like, yeah, oh. very much like that hand. Like, you yeah. knew there was a hummingbird on it, but you right. didn't know why you kept being pulled back to the hand. 
And so I think unless I had actually gone and purchased that piece of pottery, I probably never would have seen that sign. So signs for sure can pass you by if you don't follow the pull, right? Mm -hmm. The the pull that you're feeling to go towards something, that intuitive pull. Um, I just, I love that story. That is so amazing that she showed up in that way. Yeah. And it felt like not only her showing up, but it felt like her way of acknowledging like the work that I'm doing and that she's, yes. she's seeing all of that. And she's present in that, even though she's not physically here, it just felt like a nice acknowledgement of like, I know what you're doing and I'm, I'm here. And the other thing this, and well, two things, one is I've been to two antique stores semi recently, not for any particular date or, or reason. And I'm telling you every single time, within minutes, there's a hummingbird something when I walk in. So it's like, it's kind of just a funny thing now that she's like, all right, I got you. I'm here. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I was telling my therapist about this the other day as I, you know, I went in for an appointment um, recently and um, it, you know, it was a a difficult appointment for various reasons. And I was just kind of like in a funk when I left and I went to check out and the receptionist checking me out had a hummingbird um, like badge clip. And that, that was the first thing I saw. Like I walked out and I was kind of like, you know, I've had a lot of issues over the years with medical trauma tied to my mom's death and just different things. And so that comes up in different ways. And, you know, it was just one of those days where I was like, I really feel like I need her here. You know, like I'm sure you've had those times where it's like, yeah. you just want to talk to them or you just want that loving, like, support. And obviously they're not here to give that to you. And so, especially in those moments, when you get those signs, it's like validation that it just felt like a hug, you know, like her saying like, I'm here. It's okay. I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Do you have any specific resources or things that you even you offer? I'm not sure what your services are exactly, but do you have any specific resources you want to share with our audience for people who are going through deep grief and some things that you use that were helpful for you? Yeah. I mean, just from my Instagram community and getting deeper into that world, I've found so many amazing resources and accounts and, you know, some of them are better known versus smaller ones, but like Megan Devine is somebody that I love. And I think she's very much on the same wavelength of like, just no BS in terms of grief and, and just being very real about it. And so that's, um, you know, something that I appreciate Um, for me and for anyone, this is more specific to mother loss, but Hope Edelman is another one of my favorites. And I actually met her and did one of her retreats this past um, fall. So, you know, again, that's more specific. And so Megan Devine actually lost her partner. I'm not sure how familiar you are with her, but um, no, I'm not. She, she essentially witnessed her partner's drowning um, when they were swimming at a lake or something like that. So, um, you know, a lot of her content, some of it is more specific to, you know, losing a partner, but a lot of it's very broad in general in terms of grief. So that's helpful, but hope is a lot more specific to mother loss. So um, for me, that's, you know, she's been, and she actually, I remember seeing one of her books after my mom died, my dad had bought, um, one of her books that had just come out like the month before. So it was definitely a full circle moment, like meeting her and just, you know, having her like sign a copy of one of her books for me. Cause I'm like, I literally remember as an eight year old, like sitting there seeing one of your books on my dad's, you know, nightstand. And now I'm meeting you and it's just kind of crazy, but, um, Mm. 
And God, there are so many I could, I could go on all day. I just think I'm really um, encouraged at how big of a community there is around grief. And that was one thing I didn't realize, like when I started my Instagram community, again, I didn't have these like expectations of it. And I quickly realized as I started to connect with more and more people, I was like, I didn't even know that this community existed. And like, I just couldn't help but think, yeah, like all these years that I've just like not been aware of this and not been a part of it and not been contributing to it and like making these connections. Um, So that was really, it's been really nice to see like just how many grief related accounts are out there and how that's just becoming more kind of widespread and accepted. And Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think part of it is that like Instagram has obviously like now curated Mm -hmm. our feeds and what we see based on what we share or what we are looking for. Um, So to me, it feels so big. Right. Mm -hmm. But to someone who's listening, who may has never gone through grief, they'd be like, had no idea this existed. So right. thank you for sharing those resources. I'm going to put um, links to those accounts in the show notes as well. Have I'm curious, and I was thinking of this earlier when you were talking about your writing, have you ever thought about writing a book? Oh, yes. This is a loaded question. Um, I, my, first of all, my dad for years has been harping on me. You need to write a book. You need to write a book. You have a book in you. You have so many experiences, like you have so much to share. Um, and I actually, last summer I was on, I don't know if you're familiar with TJ and Taj Jackson and the power of love show, but I was on that. Um, they are actually Michael Jackson's nephews. So they have this amazing foundation that they founded, um, in memory of their mom who died and it's the DD Jackson foundation. And they have this show called the power of love show. So I was a guest on their show and, I think it was TJ, their, their brothers said the exact same thing to me. He's like, do you have a book? (laughs) Said, no. He's like, please, I'm begging you write a book. (laughs) Um, So I've been hearing that for years and, you know, I really just need to, it's really about just getting out of my own way. And, and it's just something that's so daunting to me. Like Mm -hmm. I just have put it off for years because I know like I have plenty to, to write about and to say and to share. It's just, I get so overwhelmed thinking about like, how do I organize my thoughts and how do I, you know, just like sit down and, and do it. Um, yeah. So I've kind of explored different options for that. Like, you know, I've thought about writing a children's book, for instance, about grief, because that seems a little bit less overwhelming to me than like a full blown memoir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I've thought about kind of trying to publish somehow a collection of different things that I've written, because I have poems and essays. And I have, yeah, you know, been published on some online platforms like the mighty and different things. I was actually published in the chicken soup for the soul book. My, Ooh, my claim to okay. fame. <laughs> um, I haven't those heard that title I, in a you, while. Yeah, they, uh, that's, I'm aging myself. But um, yeah, they, I think those books are still around. And the funny thing, this almost felt like a sign too. I was at, I don't know if you have Savers where you live. It's almost mm-hmm. like Goodwill. It's like a secondhand mm-hmm. store. I'm just like walking around Savers and there's a copy of my exact chicken soup book that I'm published in just like sitting on a shelf. And I was like, that's so random because there's so many chicken soup for the soul books. And my dad actually was published in one too. So it's kind of a funny oh, that's so cool. thing that we share. Um, yeah. I have copies right next to me in my bookshelf. But um, so, you know, that's like my small little brush with being a published writer. But um, aside from, you know, my 
sort of online published stuff, so to speak. But yeah, you're you're far from the first person to ask me that question. And every time I'm like, damn it, I know. <laughs> I need to <laughs> yeah, so. I think even me bringing it up and probably every other time you've gotten it, it's like your little nudge from the universe. Right. And hopefully when you're ready, you'll listen to the nudge. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I think it's been there for a very long time. And I'm like, I'm aware of it. It's just, again, like getting out of my own way and, and not making excuses for why I can't do it. Or um, just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not worthwhile or you shouldn't do it. It's just like yeah. getting getting out of your own head, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, would you just let our audience know where they can find you, reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. So on Instagram, I am at girl underscore meets underscore grief. And it's funny when I went to make that account, someone already had girl meets grief, all one word, and there were no posts, no nothing. I was like, come on. (laughs) So I have, that's why I have the underscores. Um, And if you go to my Instagram, my link tree page is also um, in my bio there. So that's where all of my published writing um, can be found. And all of my podcast interviews, I will be adding this episode once it's out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really a weird I'll try to I'll try to share the link. It's because Linktree does their links weird. I think it's L I N K T R dot E E slash girl meets grief girl underscore meets underscore grief. Okay, I'll find it and I'll put it in the show okay, notes for perfect. everyone so it's just easy to click and they can get to yeah, all, but again, all your stuff. Yeah, if you go to my Instagram, it's there as well. Um, and then I people are welcome to email me too, girlmeetsgrief at gmail.com. I welcome emails with questions, comments, anything. Um, and you asked about you know my services. So I'm still trying to, um, now that I've completed three trainings, like I mentioned, um, I really would like to start doing some one-on-one you know, grief support and um, a friend of mine who's also in the grief space, we've been talking about starting like a support group online. So those are some ways that I'm hoping, you know, to start outside of my Instagram content, start supporting people in in their grief journeys. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll be sure to have everyone follow you so they can be on the lookout for that when it is available. Um, Thank you so much for doing this with me, Julia. I'm so glad we connected and got to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and I appreciate the work that you're doing and, you know, I'm glad that we connected and we can kind of share our journeys here as we go along. Absolutely. Okay, friends, there you have it. There's my conversation with the lovely Julia from Girl Meets Grief. I'm so excited she came on the podcast today. Thank you so much to Julia for joining us. All of the links to her socials and website and offerings will be in the show notes, as well as um, any resources we may have mentioned during this episode. If you like this episode, be sure to give it a rating and a review, and don't forget to hit that plus sign button, the follow button, so you don't miss another episode. The next couple of weeks will be more guest episodes here on the Grief Awakening podcast. I might sprinkle in a solo episode here and there. We'll see how it goes, but I'm very excited for you guys to hear the next few. And once again, as always, if you are someone who either works in the spiritual space with grief or has a story that you'd like to tell on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at intuitivelyelise at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys soon. 
bye